This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome back to the Blood Red channel. I'm Matt Addison here to give you an update on some of the Liverpool players who are out on loan at the moment with around half of the season to go. I'll be joined first by Jacob Crook, Blackburn Rovers reporter for Lanks Live to talk about Harvey Elliott. Then Scott Martin, a Portuguese analyst for the lowdown on Marco Gruic. And finally, Konstantin Ekner, a German journalist who tells me about forgotten man Taiwo Avani, who is impressing in the Bundesliga. As I say, I'm Matt Addison, this is the Blood Red Podcast, and this is how three of Liverpool's loanees are getting on this season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We've obviously been keeping an eye here on Blood Red on the progress of Harvey Elliott at Blackburn. And we thought it was about time to check in on that once again. And that's mainly because, Jacob, as you've been telling me a little bit over the last couple of days, Elliot's started to play a slightly new role. Obviously, we know him more for playing on the right-hand side, but it seems he's sort of found a, a new position under Tony Mowbray. Yeah, uh, Tony sort of feels like he can be experimental with him. Um, obviously, he trusts him in a, in a wide range of positions and um, he's... he's Given that sort of players have been coming back, Bradley Dack obviously came back over the Christmas period uh, and the sort of uh, blooding him back into the first team fray. Uh, it's sort of been mixing formations a little bit and um, he's obviously been able to change Harvey in, in different areas. Um, obviously, the main one is 4 3 He's tried him as a false nine, tried him uh, in that position against Huddersfield Town. Um, sort of the first... 15 minutes of it seemed to work, but overall the team performance was, was lacking. So he didn't really have the option to you know, see his full potential in, in that position. Uh, and then he, he sort of tried it against Brentford as well when Blackburn were down to 10 men. Um, Elliot was in the false nine position with Sam Gallagher on the right. And it seemed to work in, in the closing stages when um, Rovers were sort of pushing with a, for an equaliser despite having a, a man deficit. And they, uh, they came up with uh, the equalising goal. So he's, he's tried him in that position. There is scope for him to, to play there more in the future. Um, and also as a, as a number 10 as well, um, sometimes they've played a 4-2-2-2 and uh, Elliot's played on the right side of uh, the attacking two behind the front two. Um, so there's scope for him to, to play there as well. So uh, Moby's just sort of trying to maximise him in, in different positions at the minute, but he's, he's got the, the capabilities to play there. What's the, the sort of reasoning, do you think, behind this experimentation? Is it just a case, really, you know, as somebody who hasn't seen anything of Blackburn, is it just a case of, of putting your best players through the middle to try and get the most out of them? Or, or is it sort of to help his development? What's the, the sort of reasoning behind that? Yeah, it's, it's to sort of find a winning formula at the minute. Um, results didn't really go their way in December. Um, they only won once, uh, twice, sorry. Uh, once at the start of a month and once in the middle. Um so it sort of fell off the pace in, in, in the playoff hunt. And um, they've been hit by injuries in a way. And um, obviously, it's the players, players that have been coming back and it's just trying to find that right balance between attack and defence. And he's, he's been quite experimental with it. And the 4-3-3 system hasn't worked. Well, in terms of an attacking perspective, it hasn't been as effective as it was at the start of the season. And um, in terms of intensity and stuff... It, Sort of fitness-wise, Rovers are lacking compared to where they were at the start of the season, which is understandable, uh, given you know the relentless nature of the, the schedule and um, just how the season goes. Really, and it's just sort of trying to find a, a way where they can 
conquer that and sort of still retain their um you know their attacking threat their attacking efficiency um so again it sort of so uh, sort of shows their versatility in an attacking front and Elliot obviously he's, he's happy to play wherever and that's shown over the last couple of weeks I suppose the obvious sort of Liverpool link with a, a false nine type player is Roberto Firmino but is Harvey Elliott sort of that kind of number nine or, or is he more of a, a Mohamed Salah type say when he's played through the middle for Liverpool it, it's more a case of getting himself into to better goal scoring positions and almost being on the last line and, and using his pace to get in behind. Yeah more of a, a Salah type than a Firmino um, like sort of wanted to play on the last shoulder a little bit but he's also happy to sort of drop deep and try and pick up possession. But as soon as he releases a ball, he's off, he's scampering on the last shoulder, trying to get into the penalty areas and to the right, you know, decisive uh, positions of which he can capitalise on on a cross or something. So, um, yeah, he's more of a Salah type than a, than a Firmino, but he, he can be equally as dangerous. And what do you think is his best position? Is he better in that role that we've seen him plenty of times on the right-hand side? Or, or do you think this is something to seriously consider moving forward? Um, it, it's a mix. I, I think, obviously, his natural position is out on out wide. And um, I feel like he's probably most dangerous out on the flank where he's able to cut inside or he can, he can drift out wide. That's probably where he's most dangerous. But he's proven that he can... He's got the tools to to make a difference in in more of a central role, and also in in a central midfield role as well. Um, his, his passing range is is incredible. He sees things which other players don't see, um, and he, he can hit it first time, or, or you know take take a touch and knock it through. Um, slides through balls through. He knows when to play it short. Little triangles. Um, as a central midfielder, he's got all the the capabilities and to to make a big difference in the middle of a park. And just finally, it sort of sounds like this is something we're going to see at Blackburn with Harvey Elliott for the remainder of this season. It does seem like this experiment, if you want to call it, is going to continue for them. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, when they start to get Bradley Dack up to speed, uh, we could see more of, uh, of a four-two-two-two with Elliott and Dack in behind Armstrong and Brereton, which um, for any Rovers fan is a really exciting sort of prospect to, to look forward to as they look to kick on for the second half of the season. Um, I think any like fears that they had of Elliot burning out or, you know, fit fatigue concerns have sort of been dispelled at, at the minute. He looked in good shape even after the, the Christmas run as well. He played every match and didn't like once look like he was, was going to burn out. So, um, yeah, it's an exciting prospect for them to look forward to. But again, they've, they've got flexibility in their options and Mowbray can afford to mix it up with with Elliot involved. Yeah, certainly really interesting stuff. Thank you very much to Jacob for that quick update. We'll, of course, continue to keep a close eye on Harvey Elliott's progress here at Blood Red. My second guest now is Scott Martin, a Portuguese football expert, to give us the view on Marco Gruic, who is, of course, out on loan for the season at FC Porto. Scott Gruic has made two starts in the Champions League group stage. He came off the bench in two of those games and he started two league games as well. It, it sort of seems like he's struggling to, to find a place in this Porto side so far. Yeah, and it is interesting that he's only made the two starts because there was the assumption that with Danilo Pereira, the long-time Porto stalwart at defensive mid, uh, you know, making his lone move to PSG, 
that they needed someone of Gruwich's qualities to fill that role. But it simply hasn't happened yet. So of his 15 appearances on the season, eight of those are, you know, 10 minutes of playing time or fewer. So he's really struggling for opportunities despite the the need within the system. So, you know, I, I think it's a very different reality at Porto than it was at Hertha Berlin. Um, this is very much a work in progress, making that next step up in terms of his style of play and developing his game intelligence. So, you know, there is always the, the new culture effect. He has had to adapt there. But even despite his early struggles and the need to adapt, Sergio Conceição, the Porto coach, does see a, a player of enormous potential. I mean, those are his words. So there is something there. He does see a player he likes. And I think as we get to the second half of the season, we'll start to see a little bit more of Gruwich. Yeah, I mean, so far, it sort of seems like Matias Uribe and, and Sergio Oliveira have both been playing ahead of Marco Gruwich in the centre of that midfield. I mean, they're both good players. I, I've seen a little bit of them. I, I like both of them, to be honest. But it's not the sort of standard of player that you'd expect to keep Gruwich out of the team to such an extent. I mean, as I say, it's only two starts in Europe, two in the league. OK, Gruwich is probably going to struggle to play every single minute of every single game, but but that's not what we're talking about here, is it? It's simply a case of, of getting him into that team. So what do you think he needs to do in order to, to make himself more of a regular? Yeah, so, I mean, to be fair, I, I think Sergio Oliveira's spot in the lineup is very secure. He is the heartbeat of this Porto side and arguably the best player in uh, Liga Nos this year. So... I do think his spot in the lineup is very secure. So we're really looking at Matias uh, Uribe's spot that's you know, maybe a little more tenable for, uh, for Gruwich. But for that to happen, I do think he does need to, to really feel a little more comfortable within Porto's setup. They play a 4-4-2 with a flat midfield. But the way Conceição rigs it is that the two wide midfielders pinch into the half spaces. So it's actually a very narrow formation. So the wings are given to the outside backs. So those four midfielders plus the two uh, forwards up top, all six of those players are occupying the central spaces. So there is that central overload that, you know, Gruwich is really having a tough time handling right now. So I think first and foremost, he has to show a little bit more comfort within that setup. Um, the speed of play is much, much faster than what he saw at Hertha Berlin. And, you know, that does come down to the quality of players that he's with and the different playing style within Porto. So that's first and foremost what I think he needs to adapt to. Uh, he also needs to show better counter-pressing, which for for Liverpool fans, this is a must. If you can't counter-press in Klopp's system, you're not playing. And this is where he's really struggled. You know, the aerial qualities are there. You know, we all know he's a big target. He's dominant in the air. But when it comes to his counter-pressing and his tackling, he actually rates near the bottom of the league in duels per 90 and dual efficiency. And then when you look at his fouls per 90 minutes, he's, I think, fourth most fouls per 90 minutes among central midfielders. So he is really struggling to to counter-press effectively. And I'm not seeing the deceleration going into the tackle that's that's really necessary as he attempts to counter-press. 
So does this sort of really prove why no one was prepared to, to sign him on a permanent deal this summer? Obviously, COVID-19 played a, a huge factor. Liverpool had put an £18 million price tag on him. But I suppose this sort of unsettling period has only sort of reduced that fee, even after a couple of good seasons in the Bundesliga. It, it sort of seems like you know, approaching the age of 25, as Gruitch is, he's sort of stagnated it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And... I do think maybe before the COVID market, he's, you know, they're probably getting 20 million for him. Um, we, you know, we all know Grouch has taken issue with the price tag that was put on him, you know, saying it was too high. But I do think in part that's because Klopp wanted to ensure that if he was going to lose this player, he wanted to make sure he got something out of it. So I can understand the valuation. Um, but, you know, if I think there is a temporary hit on his value. But again, this the second season will really carry more weight. He, if he does adapt to the system, if he does start to earn more playing time and and can make these small adjustments, he'll earn more minutes and that value will come right back up. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that temporary loss of value. And and just finally, then I mean, he obviously did well at, at Hertha Berlin. As I say, there were teams who were interested in him but not prepared to to pay that eighteen million fee. I mean. He's obviously ended up going on loan again. Was was Porto a, a bad choice for him, or, or do you think it, it still makes sense, even though it's not quite happened yet? It, as you say, it might happen in the second half of the season for this move to, to sort of fall into place, if you like, and, and make him look a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, so you know, I, I don't think it's a bad move at all, uh, especially from Liverpool's perspective. You know, I heard the Berlin had a very different system. Uh, they did like to keep numbers behind the ball and look to play a little bit more direct. You know, it's a very counter-attack oriented system. You get something a little bit different with Porto. So, you know, I don't think it's so much a difference between the two leagues, the two countries and cultures. It's, it's really about the individual teams themselves. And if I'm Klopp, if I'm Liverpool, I need to see that Gruwich can come into one, a team that's expected to contend for titles Two, uh, I need to see that he can perform well in the Champions League. And three, I need to see that he's comfortable within a system that requires uh, high-intensity counter-pressing and attacking effectiveness against middle and low blocks. And that's what he gets at Porto. He gets that experience. And that's markedly different from what he had at Hertha Berlin. So if I'm Porto... Um, I'm giving him this opportunity to show his value to his home club. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely not the start that Gruwich wanted, but th this is exactly what Liverpool needed to see. So I think from that perspective alone, this loan is worthwhile. I mean, you, you look at the difference in the passes per defensive action, which measures how intensely a team counterpresses. The Hertha Berlin side that he played for last year rated at 12 point three four passes for every defensive action they engaged in Porto this season is at 7.51 so it's a much faster style of play um, there's much less space for him on the ball and and that's another issue where I do see uh, some need for development body orientation before receiving uh, and even just identifying better pockets of space before the ball comes to him just hasn't quite been there and we've seen some sloppy uh, technical actions from him. You know, going back to uh, his games last season, 
I was actually surprised to see first how much space he had on the ball and secondly just some of the quality distributions uh, I mean he he has the ability to hit a 45 meter diagonal ball to the high targets but we just haven't seen it at Porto and I think it's because he's not doing the work before the ball gets to him and that's a big factor in his ability to to play quickly to play within the system and to really get a little bit more out of his attacking qualities against these more compact defenses. So I think if he makes some progress there, we'll see more minutes come his way. Yeah, certainly something to watch out for, I think, in the second half of this season. And I'm sure here on Blood Red, we will be doing just that. Just quickly, before we move on to our third guest, I just want to uh, give a quick plug as well to, to Scott's book, Revitalising Real Madrid. He assures me it's very similar to Lee Scott's King Klopp, which I'm sure plenty of our listeners will have read. So do check that out if you are interested. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Scott, for, for joining us. Thanks for your time. No, thank you very much, Ben. Always a pleasure. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And last but not least, I'm joined by Konstantin Ekner for a quick chat about Taiwo Oanee, the largely forgotten Liverpool striker who's actually been at the club now for six or so years, but just can't seem to get a work permit over in England. Konstantin, it seems like his form this season has been really good. He seems to have taken a few steps forward this year and he seems to be doing really well. Yeah, I mean, he does better now than he did in a couple of other stints at other clubs, um, including in Germany. He struggled a lot at, at Mainz, um, but now at Union Berlin, who are also doing quite well for themselves. I mean, they're basically the the surprise team of the season. Um, he is one of the pivotal players uh, up front. So, I mean, there's also some luck involved. Uh, early on in the season, he was only a bench player. He came only on uh, for the last 20 or 30 minutes or so. Uh, but then when Poyampalo, the, the first string striker of Union, got injured um, after in a match against Bielefeld, uh, which Union also decisively won, um, then it was uh, Aroni's ch- chance, uh, and he has done quite well of himself. Yeah, I mean, he, I, as I said, like he's a pivotal part of the team now, um, and Union are happy to have him because they there is a shortage of strikers right now due to injuries. I think it's five goals and three assists so far in the Bundesliga. I mean, where does he sort of rank in terms of, of the players in that position? I mean, obviously, as you say, Union Berlin are kind of punching above their weight, you say, this season. I think they're only a point behind Borussia Dortmund. But is he sort of on his way to becoming one of, of the top players or, or has he sort of found his level at, at that club, do you think? I think he more or less found his level there. And I think he's he's kind of what you would call a utility player. Um, so he is perfect for the role they, they give him. Um, and he works quite well in the Union Berlin system, which is also kind of direct, a lot of vertical passes. Uh, he makes a lot of these runs behind the, the back line. Um, and there he is really valuable for, for Union. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to do kind of the same thing or have the same impact at another team that's more possession-based. Um, but also kind of when you look at his um, recent history or his career at a, at a professional level, uh, that's the first time really, as far as I know, that he is really a key player, a starting 11 player um, at, a, at a high-level team. So, I mean, we have to give him some slack at least, <laughs> or cut him some slack. Uh, so 
to, to wait a little bit longer. Um, but I think like right now in Union Berlin, also with that kind of underdog mentality, you know, kind of, um, it's, it's perfect for him just. Um, and it's perfect perfect place uh, for him to be right now. Um, also because there is a lot of hype and just euphoria uh, uh, surrounding Union Berlin. It's also, it helps you, especially if you're a player that has struggled so much. I mean, I remember his, his days at Mainz where he also didn't play as a center forward in all of the matches. Sometimes he played out wide um, on the rings and that didn't work out at all. And so, I mean, kind of when you think like maybe your career is going south, uh, then you are revitalized um, and also playing for a team that uh, writes history in, in a way because Union Berlin is, is you know, it's, it's located in East Berlin, underdog club, not a lot of money. And now they are playing for the Europa League or even the Champions League uh, spot. So that's that's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we've sort of spoken about what he's done so far this season. I mean, the, the fact that he's been at Liverpool so long now, but not been able to get a work permit is largely down to the fact that he doesn't have enough international caps for Nigeria. Odin, Odin Igalo and, and Victor Osman both sort of in front of him to, to get into to that position. But uh, I suppose that means that, that Liverpool fans won't have seen a great deal of him play. So, I mean, you've sort of described there the, the kind of player he is. Is there a player who's maybe a little bit more well-known that you could maybe compare him to? Or is his style even suited to, to Liverpool long-term? Or, or do you think it, it's probably uh, a case of Liverpool moving him on at some point because he doesn't quite fit? Oh, that's uh, that's a hard run to, to really come up with a good comparison. Uh, I mean, he is... I, like, I mean, like, uh, no, I get, I probably get hate for that, but whatever. Uh, he, in a little bit, in a, in a way, he reminds me a bit of uh, Erling Holland, as at least what, what, in terms of like the runs he he makes behind the line. Of course, he's nowhere near the level of Erling Holland, like in terms of everything else. Like, just his style is is somewhat somewhat similar. Also, someone who who likes to to make these runs and then is a good, not great poacher in in, in the box. So. Um, great fin. He's he's a he's a decent finisher at least. Let let's put it that way. Um, so but is he really suitable or is he at that level where he could be a, you know, could play a role at Liverpool? I'm not sure about that. As I said, like he fits Union Berlin style very well. Um, also considering like the the level he's or his performance levels. You know, that's why I, I have a hard time really comparing him to Erling Holland. Same style, maybe, but of course, different levels. <laughs> there are different levels to this. Um, so I don't, I don't think he would work well at Liverpool just, just based on like where he is at, at right now in, in terms of his his abilities. Um, I think in terms of style, yeah, I mean, he could suit Liverpool, uh, especially like the, this. I mean, you guys more much more better than I do, but there is often this discussion about you know Firmino being someone who drops back a lot. Um, maybe doesn't make the runs behind the line at times, um, and then having someone who makes these runs. I mean, there are other candidates, of course, at Liverpool who can do that, but still having someone who is kind of the opposite to the to the established uh, number nine, that can be kind of what I think also Jurgen Klopp likes, t- telling from his history as a coach. Sometimes he, he likes these opposites uh, or these opposites as you know, so he can play a little bit with the roles and play with tactics a bit. And and make uh, maybe a substitution late on in the game, and you know, change dynamics up front a little bit. So maybe that's way it could fit in. But on the other hand, there are also other strikers out there on the market who are similar to Avoni, and maybe are you know promise more performance right away. 
So Arroni would be more of a project, and I don't I don't know if Liverpool have time and patience, especially in the attacking department, because there are so many other great at attacking players. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he would lost get lost in the shuffle. So um, after all, and and I, I expect Liverpool to move on from him after uh, you know, and maybe sell him for for decent money. Uh, especially because now he he makes he has scored some goals for a good team in the Bundesliga. Usually that that you know ups your value on the transfer market as well. And just to, to finish, then I mean, in terms of the club that he's at now, Union Berlin, would they be able to to afford to sign him permanently, or has he almost done too well this season on loan that his price tag might be a little bit out of their range? I mean the. That that's hard to say right now. Union Berlin they uh, had a loss of ten million euros in the in the recent year, um, solely based uh, because of Corona and and uh, the the lack of stadium crowds. Especially the, the smaller clubs in Germany are still, you know, they, they are dependent on stadium crowds and on on match day ticket revenues and merchandise revenues. And especially a club like Union Berlin, because they don't have a, a lot of other avenues where they can generate a lot of money. Uh, you know, they don't have any international deals or something. It's just it's it's a local club in a way, um, even if it's in Berlin. But it's still even even local in, in Berlin in a way because it's uh, based in the eastern part of the you know old East Berlin part, and most of their friends are coming from East Berlin. Um, so you know the, the the lack of match crowds has really hurt them, and they have tried a lot of things. Like Union Berlin were really uh, the the first club that tried a lot of things, like like testing all the all the twenty thousand fans in the stadium. There was one of their uh, suggestions they made uh, a couple of months ago, stuff like that. We were they were desperate to get to get fans back. So I don't know if they would have the money. On the other hand, there is the the expectation that some of their key players will leave them for decent money next summer, which is just the way it is. You know, you're a small club, you lose your best players after a good season. Uh, so maybe they have the money to to sign him. If he would be the the first priority for them um, after losing, maybe your center midfield or maybe your 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 main center back or something. I, I don't know if he would be the the main priority, especially because as I said, there are other strikers they still have. Poyampalo is still the established number nine for them. He's hurt. You know, he he had an ankle injury, or I think he broke his ankle. So of course that will take some time. They have also Max Kruse, who's an who's a veteran in German football, um, who has a muscle tear uh, to deal with right now, but he will be back in February probably. So there are other options for them. I don't know, but I, I guess they might have the money. It, it, it comes down to how how big the deal would be. I mean, he has scored five goals, as you said, so that doesn't like um, justify a 10 million transfer fee or something. I mean, let's be honest, like five goals is not like uh, all of a sudden you're you're a big player on the transfer market. That's not, that's not how it works, um, especially right now in this pandemic. Where everyone is a little bit tight in terms of money, um, so let's let's wait. I, I think if he feels comfortable at Union, you know, if he feels also comfortable in Berlin um, in terms of like living there and and everything, uh, maybe he he just wants to stay there and and wants to move forward with his career there. I mean, there this it's never too late to then maybe uh, advance to another club after another season or two. Um, why not? I mean, I think he's in a good spot right now. Um, I just think that, like going back to Liverpool, or going to Liverpool and playing there, getting your work permit, I, I don't, I don't know if he would be a player that would really have an impact. Or you know, after after all, maybe you're six months on the bench, or even not, even not even on the bench. <laughs> and, and what's what's that? Then then you have to move on again and move to another club, especially when you look at his profile. 
don't know how many clubs he has played for in Europe, but it's maybe six or seven or something. And it's, it's, seven, it's a lot. Seven loans he's seven, had so far. Yeah, seven. Yeah. seven. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, in terms of like moving around. Uh, every time you have to adapt uh, to a new environment, you have to, you know, learn the names of your teammates again and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe he wants to settle down a little bit after a while. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And still only 23, of course, as well. So plenty of, of time to, to see where that goes. Constantine, thank you very much. Really, really interesting stuff from you there. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.